Well, Lord, that is our prayer this morning, great God, that you would be glorified, Lord, that you would be lifted high. Lord, our heart is to be a people who live not for ourselves, but live for you because you are the one who brings life. You are the one worthy of all praise. And so we worship you. We sing of your praises and we come to your word now. We open our hearts to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Please be seated. Just want to add my welcome to you as well. It's so great to have you with us. What an amazing week it has been. The globe is coming down one last time. How could I not use the globe one last time? Because I might not be able to use it ever again. So, um, But it actually relates to the message today as well. So um, we're actually concluding our series we've been doing over the last number of weeks now. The series we've been doing called He Came. We've been looking at key passages in the Bible that talk about why Jesus came that first Christmas. And what does this mean for us? What does this mean for our world? What was his purpose in coming? And let me remind you of just some of the the passages, the themes we've looked at. The first one is that he came to save sinners. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15. We looked at the fact that he came to bring good news to the poor. Luke chapter 4 verse 18. Then we looked at the fact that he came to fulfill the law, Matthew 5, 17. That he came to do the Father's will, John 6, 38. Last week, Neil looked at the fact that Jesus came to reveal the kindness and love of God, Titus 3, verse 4. And today as we wrap up this series, I want to look at another reason why Jesus came. And in many ways, this sums up or is overarching over all of the other reasons we have looked at over this whole series as to why Jesus came. This really is the big overarching theme of Jesus' mission, and it's this. It's the fact that Jesus came to give God glory. This is such an important truth to take hold of. Yes, Jesus came to do all these things for us. He came to save us. He came to bring good news to us. He came to free us. He came to die for us. He came to redeem us and to give us life. But we don't want to miss the fact that Jesus did all of this for us to the glory of God. And I want to look at God's word this morning and see how it explains this to us. Let me read to you a few passages of scripture. John chapter 1 verse 14 says that the word became flesh, the word being Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus came to reveal God's glory to us. And then in John 8, it says, verse 50, it says, yet I do not, this is Jesus speaking, yet I do not seek my own glory. I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Jesus came to give God glory. That was his mission. And then at the end of Jesus' life, he prays a prayer just before he goes to the cross. John 17, and it says this. It says, Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. 
So I want you to see here that Jesus came that first Christmas with this overarching mission to reveal God's glory and to give glory to him. And that is the the mega theme right throughout the Bible. It's all about the glory of God, the fact that it is all about him. There are two great soccer players in our time. One is Lionel Messi from Argentina, the other is Cristiano Ronaldo from Portugal, and they are always at each other as to who is number one and who is number two. It's one of the greatest sporting rivalries of our time, of all time, in fact. And Ronaldo was being interviewed by the media, and he made the comment that he believed God had sent him into the world so that people could learn how to play soccer and to show how soccer ought to be played. That's what he said. So when he finished this statement, an interviewer, another interviewer went to Lionel Messi and said, so what do you think about Ronaldo's statement that God sent him into the world in order to teach people how to play soccer? Well, Lionel said, I can honestly tell you, I don't remember sending him. (laughs) We can so easily begin to have this extraordinary opinion about how great we are, can't we? We can so easily begin to think that it's all about us. And this can even subtly become a, a, a true of our relationship with God as well. We have this tendency, it's a subtly dangerous tendency, but dangerous nonetheless to begin to view Christianity and the gospel through a man-centered lens. Always thinking about what does this mean for me? What can Jesus do for me, for my wants, for my desires, for my needs? And, And this is good to a certain extent because as we've heard, Jesus came to serve us and to give us life and to seek us and to save us. But if we stop there, it this is where it gets dangerous. If we stop there, the danger is we start to think that we are the end in the story. That everything in God's universe centers on us. And that is simply not true. Everything in God's universe, everything centers on him. And even the most wonderful acts of his mercy and grace towards us are ultimately not intended for us to be the end, but are ultimately intended for God to be the end, for him to receive the glory, because everything revolves around the glory and the greatness of God. And the beauty of Christmas is that God has chosen to glorify himself by becoming our servant in Christ, seeking after us and saving us in our lostness. So I want us to capture this morning as we wrap up this series, a God-centered perspective of Christmas. Let me read to you the Christmas narrative from Luke chapter 2 because we see it here. This is what it says. It says there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Here we have it, the glory of God appearing to lowly shepherds. And this is no small thing. When God appears in his glory, and we see this right throughout the Bible, when God appears in his glory, people are overwhelmed. People are in, are in fear. People are on their faces before God because he is so great. He is so powerful. 
He is so mighty, so above anything of this earth, so holy. And so the shepherds are full of fear. But then it says, verse 10, but the angels said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And here it is again. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts. Imagine being there on this night. A great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, what were they saying? They were saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. I want you to see this morning that Jesus' arrival is firstly about revealing the glory of God and giving him glory first and foremost, and then secondly about coming to bring peace to those who would place their faith and trust in Jesus. If you're here at the Christmas lights, I mentioned in my talk about the mission of Apollo 8, Christmas Eve, 1968, man first orbited the moon. And the mission of Apollo 8 was to photograph the lunar surface in preparation for a future moon landing. All three of the astronauts on that mission, Frank Borman, Jim Lovell, Will Anders, all three of them were deeply impacted by what they saw and experienced on that mission, the view of Earth that they had seen that no man had ever seen before. And this unique perspective gave them an unexpected glimpse of the greatness and the glory of God. They suddenly realized in that moment how incredibly small they were against the the immensity of the universe. They suddenly realized in that moment it wasn't all about them. There was something so much greater. And interestingly, as they emerged from the dark side of the moon, Christmas Eve 1968, the astronauts sent a message back to Earth. This message was of their own choosing. They weren't directed by NASA to send this message back, but this is what they said. Let me read it to you. They said this, To all the people back on earth, the crew of Apollo 8 has a message they would like to send you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, and it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. Isn't that incredible? That in this moment, the only words they could find to capture what they were feeling in that moment and explain the life-transforming experience they had encountered were words from God himself. Genesis 1, in the beginning God. Notice it wasn't in the beginning man. That's not what they were thinking up there. In the beginning God. That means when it all started, it was God. When the idea of creation happened, it was God. When there was nothing, there was 
God. When everything was formless and void, there was God. When the darkness was brooding over the earth, there was God. God was in the beginning, and that is where the story starts. That is where our story starts, and that is where the story ends. It begins with God. It ends with God. It's not all about us. It is all about God and His glory. We are not the main character of the story. God is. And it's so important that we get hold of this truth. Psalm 19 says, The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display His craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night they make Him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all of the world. The purpose of creation is to proclaim the glory of God. That's the purpose of it. It's interesting that so many of the astronauts involved in those early days of space exploration embraced spirituality or religion. Some had an existential crisis. They struggled to understand. When they returned to earth, they struggled to understand the meaning of their lives from that point on. Astronaut John Glenn said, to look out at this kind of creation and not believe in God is to me impossible. I wish there were words to describe what it's like. Astronaut Edgar Mitchell said, my view of our planet was a glimpse of divinity. It was Neil Armstrong who famously said, it suddenly struck me that this tiny pea, pretty, pretty and blue was the earth. I put my thumb up and shut one eye and my thumb blotted out the planet Earth. He said, I didn't feel like a giant. I felt very, very small in that moment. And the last man on the moon, Gene Cernan, summed up the anti-climax of post-space mission life by saying it was tough to find an encore. And that is because we were created to live for something so much bigger than ourselves. We were created to live for the glory of God. It's only a small and select group that will ever have the experience of staring back at our own blue planet from the moon and having this perspective. But we all have moments in our lives, experiences of awe and wonder the birth of a child, the sunrise that takes our breath away, a painting of unfathomable beauty that we see, a moment in a musical concert that stirs something within us, brings us to tears maybe even. It's interesting that the great musician and composer, Johann Sebastian Bach, said that all music should have no other end and aim than the glory of God and the soul's refreshment. He headed all of his compositions with the initials JJ, which meant Jesus Juva, which means Jesus help me, is what he put. And at the end of all of his uh, compositions, he put the initials SDG, which stand for Sola Dio Gloria, which means to God alone be the glory. Johann Sebastian Bach got it. He was living for something bigger than himself. He was living for a vision far greater than his own vision. He was living for the glory of God. He saw his musical talents, his musical gifts as being for his glory. 
You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 6 verse 3, it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Ephesians 1 verse 12 says that we were created for the praise of his glory. That's why we were created, for this very purpose. And I want you to see here that God's intended purpose for creating what we know as time and humanity and the entire universe was for his glory. It was not first and foremost for his glory, but entirely and exclusively for his glory. There is no subplot, no room for any other main characters. The Bible says God will share his glory with no one else, is what the Bible says. Isaiah 42 verse 8 says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. And a lot of people struggle with this. They stumble over what seems to be God's self-promotion. What is God's self-promotion? They think this seems egotistical. This seems insecure on God's part. This seems unloving for God to seek his own glory and praise. I recently read in regards to this that Oprah Winfrey walked away from Orthodox Christianity when she was about 27 because of the biblical teaching that God is jealous, that he demands that he and no one else gets our highest allegiance and affection. It didn't sound loving to her, and so she turned away. Brad Pitt turned away from his boyhood faith. He says, because God says you have to say that I'm the best, it seems to me to be about ego. C.S. Lewis, before he became a Christian, complained that God's demand to be praised sounded like a vain person who wants compliments. Eric Ries, the writer of an American gospel, rejected the Jesus of the gospels because he said only an egomaniac would demand that we love him more than we love our parents and children. And Michael Prowse, the columnist for the London Times, the London Financial Times, turned away because he said, only tyrants puffed up with pride crave adulation. So many people see this as a problem, that God created the world for his own praise, for his own glory. They think such self-exaltation would be immoral, would be unloving. But I want you to see this this morning. It's that God himself is the source of greatest happiness. And since he is the greatest treasure in the world, since his glory is the most satisfying gift he could possibly give for, therefore, it is the kindest, most loving thing he could possibly do to reveal himself and magnify himself for our everlasting enjoyment. The Bible says this, it says that in your presence, in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 16 verse 11. Psalm 63 verse 3 says, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. Do, do you see it here? It's only God that can bring us true joy and fulfillment and bring meaning to our lives. Therefore, God is the one being for whom self-exaltation is the most loving act because he is exalting for us what alone can truly satisfy and fully satisfy us fully and forever. 
If we exalt ourselves, we are not loving because we distract people from the one person who can make them happy forever, that person being God. But if God exalts himself, he draws attention to the one person who can make us happy forever in himself. You need to understand that God does not need our praise and adulation. He is God. He is not insecure. All of heaven, all of creation are already praising him. The command to glorify him is is for our blessing. It's so that we might know the fullness of all that he would have for us. He is not an egomaniac. He is an infinitely glorious, all-satisfying God, offering us everlasting and supreme joy in himself. And God's design to pursue his own glory turns out to be an expression of his great love for us. And our duty to pursue God's glory turns out to be a quest for true happiness and and joy and fulfillment and meaning and purpose because we were created to live for something so much greater than ourselves. We're created to live for the glory of God. In the London Olympics in 2012, US swimmer Alison Schmidt won five gold medals and set a new world record. Can you imagine how it must have felt for her in that moment to stand on the podium, to hear her national anthem played, to see the flag raised up, lifted up above her head. What a great moment that must have been for her. Well, it may not be all that we think. After the games, she suffered from serious depression. She struggled silently for some time, referring to the condition as post-Olympic blues. Success and achievement are wonderful, but we should not be deluded into thinking they will deliver us all that we need in life. This is where the Bible helps us. It says that life is beyond the present and that true life is found in connection with our creator God. In his presence is fullness of joy and life forevermore. It's his love that is better than life. It was Corrie ten Boom who endured the Nazi concentration camps of World War II who said these words. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you will be at rest. We were created for him. We were created to live for the glory of God. I want us to come back for a moment to Luke Chapter 2, the announcement of the angels. And I want you to see here, as the the angels made this announcement, it was a two-pronged message. It had a top line and it had a bottom line. The top line of their message was, glory to God in the highest heaven. This This is amazing, they're saying. God is amazing. That's the top line. God is in heaven, above the cosmos, above all the galaxies, above time and space, has come to Bethlehem in the form of a baby. Glory to God in the highest heaven, they say. And then they say, second line, oh, and by the way, I have something for you too. Peace on earth among men on whom his favor rests. And do you see how the top line was all about God? The top line's all about him. And then the second line was God is doing something marvelous for you. 
And the enemy, I want to tell you, the enemy would be happy if you got all that as long as you inverted that story and said, it's about me. It's all about me. And oh, and I believe in a wonderful God who does great things for me. It's really my life, right? He'd be, he'd be happy if he could get us to put the bottom line on the top line, the top line on the bottom line. It's really all about me, my story, and I love God because God answers my prayers and God helps me in my story. And we can so easily fall into the trap of doing that. But if we can let the Spirit of God rewrite that story to the way it actually is in the universe, it will change every single thing about what your life is going to look like. If you can have the Spirit of God put the top story first in your life that it's all about God, so the message of my life is glory to God in the highest heaven, and the bottom message of my life is that God chose to include me into his story. When that happens, everything changes. Everything changes when we realize we are here that God is here because he is God and you and I are here in the story because of his wonderful grace so that we can live out our lives to amplify how great and how good he is. When that shift comes, a lot of things change. Everything changes for our life. You see, the danger of inverting is that when you become the top story and God's only there to support you, what happens when God doesn't support you the way you think God needs to support you? What happens when a job is taken away or a business fails? What happens when a marriage falls apart or a loved one is diagnosed with a terminal illness? What happens to us when it's I'm up here asking you, God, to do all this great stuff to fill out the details of my story and God doesn't do that? Do you know what happens? Our faith deteriorates. It, it shakes the very foundation of our faith. In fact, all of us probably know somebody who said, I will never darken the door of a church again because God didn't come through for me the way I wanted him to and I will never walk into the door of a church again. But do you know what that was? That was an inverted theology. That's what it was. So how does it work the other way? It works the other way when you realize that God was God before you were on this earth and he is going to be God long after we are on this earth and that God works in ways that you can't see, think or imagine and that his thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts and his ways are so much bigger than our ways and his plans are so much greater than any plan that we could ever come up with in our own mind, any plan that we could ever imagine or dream up. When we start to grasp this truth, it gives us confidence that even when we don't see things working out the way that we have dictated or the way that we wanted them to, we're able to stop and say in that moment, wait a minute, it's not working out the way I thought it was going to work out, but that doesn't shake my confidence in a God who left all the glory of heaven and came to earth as a baby to reveal his love and glory and save the human race from our sins and invite us into a living story with him. We realize we have a sovereign God 
who is working even when we don't see it, who has a plan even when we don't understand it, who is good at heart, good in character, always has been and always will be. He is a God who is going to let his glory be seen even in cancer. A God who is going to let his glory be seen in loss. A glory... A God who is going to let his glory be seen in the brokenness in this world and in everything that darkness can throw our way. And how do I know this? How do I know this is true? Because even when they nailed his own son on the cross, what looked like darkness overcoming, what looked like Satan's greatest victory was actually the moment of God's greatest victory, the moment of God's greatest glory, right there in that moment. He is a big and glorious God who works all things for our good and for his glory. This is the message of the Bible. And if you've wondered why you feel like your faith is deteriorating, it may be because you are on the top line and God is on the bottom. You see, the reason Jesus came is the same reason why we live. It's for the glory of God. It's for his glory. When I was in Sunday school, my Sunday school teacher tried to teach me the Westminster Catechism. And I tried, but I couldn't remember any of them, but I remembered one, only one I remembered. And it's a good one to remember. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That is our purpose. That is our calling, to glorify him and to enjoy him forever because we were created for something so much bigger than ourselves. We've been invited into the grand story of God, the eternal story of God. We were made in his image and for his glory. And if you've ever wondered while you feel like maybe your faith is deteriorating and maybe because you're on the top line this morning and God is on the bottom line and you need this revelation change around. You need a God perspective of the Christmas story. You see, don't get to the end of it all and say, look what I have achieved. Look at what I have accumulated. Look at my life. Look at my success. You don't get to the end of your life and And so that you get to the end of it all and you say, I gave all I had for the top line. I gave all I had. Glory to God in the highest. That is what brings true joy and fulfillment and peace and meaning and purpose to our lives. And that is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, he says, so whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is not an admonition to do God a favor. It's a command to align our lives with his his eternal goal. He created us for his glory. As we close this morning, I want to introduce you to somebody who has been on this journey themselves. Someone who came to the realization that this life was actually not about him, but it was actually all about the glory of God. And this person is Trevor Wilson. I'm going to invite Trevor to come up on the stage with me. And Trevor is about to head 
uh, overseas to actually do the Dakar rally. And we want to pray for Trevor today. If you don't know much about the Dakar rally, it's one of the biggest motor racing events in the world. It's going to be televised into 190 different countries, millions of people tuning in to, uh, to watch this race. It's an endurance race. It covers 7,800 kilometers through the deserts of Saudi Arabia. How's that? 7,800 kilometers. It is no small feat. And Trevor, I'd love it this morning um, if you could just share a little bit about your own experience of what we've been talking about today, about the fact that we've been called to something so much greater than ourselves. I know this has been part of your own story. Maybe you could just share a little bit about that with us this morning before we pray for you. Trevor leaves in just a couple of days' time to head over there. And as a church, we want to pray for him. We want to support him in this. But I thought it'd be great just to hear a bit of his story before we do that. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Um, I think for me at the start, like obviously I had a dream to go race this race. Um, And a lot of it, I think, was a very selfish dream. Uh, It was just me saying, this is what I want to do. This is my goal in life. This is my possessive noun. Um, and then God took me on the journey where I went about it, where I realized like it was more than me. And I realized there was more that I had to surrender to God in it. So for a simple example, like at the start, it was called Trevor Wilson Racing. And then God showed me and brought people around my life to, to help me understand that if I surrender this to God, uh, it could become more than who I am. Because I'd year after year keep trying to get into this race. And this has taken me nearly five years now to be at this place. Um, and along that time, God would continue to just break down my spirit in a loving way, but show me that there's something more. And then I got to this place that I just was like, oh God, like I'm fed up. Like I'm trying to push this in my own strength and I can't do it. I need you to just come in and just take it all. Um, And then he showed me some situations of uh, like a famous NFL player that had John 316 written under his eyes and at the playoffs, uh, that verse was Googled 74 million times. And I thought, well, Dakar's a, a big race and it has a good reach, so what if I just surrendered the, the aspect of the branding, the vision and the story and just represented my faith and just had two palms open before God and said, Lord, what is it that you want me to do with my life? And I'll surrender it to you. And then I just went on a journey where I, um, yeah, I just went, went about that, surrendering it to God speed me, may God wish you well on your journey, uh, may God cause you to prosper. And I thought, well, that's a saying that everyone knows. And, um, and then we got the gospel to take someone through the gospel with the colors that we used. And, um, and then on the, on the bike, we, we put a little picture of Jesus hugging the world and for God to love the world. And, um, and then what's your end game is basically saying, sure, it's a race, it's a motorbike, so what? But what's your end game? When you get to the end of your life and you stand before Jesus and you, you're, looking at, you're looking at him and he says, what did you do with your life? I want to know that I got to the end of my life and used everything that I had to give him glory. And this is just an example. It's just a race. It's just a bike. So what? Um, but there's a bigger picture of what I hope God will do here. And Saudi Arabia is a very um, non-Christian country. So um, and the race is, is quite risky. Like 43 people have died in the race over the past 40 years doing it. Um, and obviously being a Christian in that space, like it is a little bit scary. So I would love your prayer as a church and that. we, um, Yeah, like I, I think I surrender that to God also, that whatever happens in the race is in God's hands. But I really hope he uses... Uh, the publicity from it to give him glory and I just really hope that people just hear the message of Jesus Um, and I think I really agree with what you were saying this morning is just that um, when we surrender things to Jesus they become so much more than what we could ever imagine and I've seen this happen in my life that this has become more than I've ever imagined 
and I kind of just like, I, I was driving the other day and I was tripping and I was like, this can't be my life. Like, I was like, it's just so much more than I could have ever imagined. And, um, and I also have noticed in the surrender, I'm, I'm detached from outcomes. When I was more like, what is it that I want? I was always tied into the outcome and this is what I'm wanting. And then, for example, like, let's say Monday morning, like, one of my training bikes got stolen from my house. And it was weird, like, I wasn't, I didn't react. Like, I was like, okay, it's God's bike anyway. And then two days later, the police called me, they're like, we found your bike and it's in good condition in the bush. And I was like, all right, no worries. And then went around, picked it up and, and rode it back to the shed. And I was like, oh. But even in that, like, I was able to God to sit, God used the, the Facebook page to then share it so that, you know, got reached to 10,000 people. I'm like, God, that's fine. If you have to steal my bike and bring it back to, to share your vision, let's do it. Like, um, and I just trust that, you know, when I get to the end of, the end of my life, like, I'll, I'll see what he's doing. And for now, I just have to be two palms open before Jesus saying, I surrender it to you. So um, I've got a flag down here. If you just want to sign it, I'm going to read that on the rest day. I'm not going to read any of the messages now as much as I want to. Um, but that will just help. If there's anything, verses that you feel or on your heart or any encouraging messages, because... Um, it'll be quite a big spiritual battle over there, so at that midway point I'll read it and that'll just give some encouragement in the spirit because I think this is, um, God can sustain a heart, so that's what I want to sort of lean into, but yeah, thanks for having me here to share it. Yeah, praise God, isn't that amazing? We want to pray for Trevor this morning, and I'm actually going to ask the pastors just to come up. We're going to lay hands on your brother and ask, and as a whole church, we're going to pray for you. As Trevor mentioned down the front here, he's got a flag, and he'd love people just to come and write verses, messages of encouragement, uh, just words, and he's going to keep that, as he said, till his rest day. He's going to open that just, to, again, to, to remind him that there's a whole church praying for him, many praying for him, in fact. But we want to pray for him. So I want to invite you just to stand. Do you want to stand where, where you are? We want to ask and pray God's special blessing on Trevor as we send him out as a church uh, on this particular task. Let's lay hands on him. We want to pray. Join our hearts together now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this incredible invitation you give to each and every one of us, great God, to, to be part of your great story. It's an incredible story. It's a story about bringing hope and life and love. It's a story about you being lifted high, you being glorified. Thanks for Trevor's testimony here this morning, great God, that this is his heart, Lord. He's come to this place, palms open, surrendered to you. And so we pray now, Lord, for a special anointing of your spirit as he goes, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity you've given to him, Lord. Thanks for the John 3.16 on the bike, Godspeed, the branding, great God, the colors representing the good news of the gospel. Thanks, Lord, for this opportunity you've given. And so we pray, Lord, we pray for your hand of protection over Trevor, Lord. We pray for safety as he rides, great God, that you will guide him every step, every move he makes on that bike, Lord. I pray that he will just know that you are guiding him, that you are leading him, Lord. We pray he'll know great favor with the media, Lord, that those those verses will be beamed all around the world, 190 countries, Lord, in that region of Saudi Arabia, Lord, who don't know the good news of the gospel, Lord, that you'll use him powerfully there. We pray for the spiritual battle too, Lord, that you'll have your hand of protection over Trevor. Give him energy and strength, supernatural energy and strength, we pray, right throughout this whole race we're asking. But we are praying, Lord, as Trevor's already shared, that through this, Lord, through this, you will be glorified, Lord. Glory to God in the highest heaven. We pray that, great God, that many, Lord, will be drawn to you. 
This is our prayer. And so we just pray your blessing to be poured out on Trevor. Now the anointing of your Holy Spirit, we ask. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Can we encourage Trevor and put our hands together for him? We're going to sing a song as we respond now. If you want to come, you can write on the flag even during this song. You feel free to do that or after service as well. But maybe you're here this morning and there is a circumstance or a situation in your life where you're saying, God, I really want to be glorified. I know for all of us, this is our call to live for the glory of God. But maybe there's a specific situation that God's put on your heart this morning. Maybe it's something new you're kicking into for starting off for next year and you're saying, God, I want you to be glorified in this next year. Maybe it's something you're in the middle of now and you're saying, God, I want to be glorified in this situation. If that's you this morning, just respond to what God is saying. Just come down the front and the pastors will be down here, the prayer team. We'd just love to pray for you. Ask God just to bless you in that, to lead you in that, to guide you in that, to show you, to reveal to you how you can best glorify Him in that situation, that circumstance. But let's sing together as we respond. You can feel free to come right on the flag, verses of Scripture, words of encouragement for Trevor. Respond in prayer if you'd like that this morning. Bless worship. Let's praise Him. He is worthy of our praise this morning. Let's do that together. That is our heart, great God. That is our heart this morning, that we would live for your glory. We would live for your grand purpose, great God. And so I pray for us as your people, as a church, great God, you'll continue to lead us in this way as well. Everything, Lord, all that we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, Lord, it would be all for your glory, we pray. We pray that into our Christmas services, in fact, just this week, Lord. May your name be lifted high. May many find hope and life in you, we ask. We pray this in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Everybody said, amen. Please be seated. If you'd still like to come forward to write on the flag, you can do that to receive prayer. You can follow Trevor's progress as well. There is a link in your newsletter where you can follow him on the Dakar rally as well. Continue to pray for him. God bless you. Thanks so much for sharing with us today.